<laughs> so good. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Lifestyle Medicine. Before we get started with today's episode, if you guys can please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel, leave comments, hit that bell notification so you guys get notified of all of my content, if you're liking what I'm putting out, that is, and also on iTunes. If you guys can leave me reviews, that helps my numbers go up, that helps the podcast get circulated, it's part of how I make my living. So again, if you guys are willing and able to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And if you guys have noticed, the past few recordings, episodes, and some of the content I'm putting out, I'm in a different place, and that's just at my, my folks' house for, uh, for this month. I'm here a bit more, and working here a bit more, because they are in Mexico. So if you guys are wondering where I am, why the background is different, that's why. So without further ado, let's hop into today's topic, which is going to be about my first and technically only ceremonial weekend with ayahuasca. So in telling this story, I have to backtrack a little bit. So this happened at the tail end of 2017. I believe it was December of 2017, going into the 2018 New Year. Back in 2017, so my daughter was born in 2016, and the first, oh God, the first eight months with my daughter, um, she had some health stuff go on in our first our first Christmas was spent in Stanford Hospital. We were, we were. She, she got very sick, and she's doing really well now. She's thriving, and just you know, she's a beautiful, happy little, healthy girl. But kids sometimes get hit with various different things depending on you know life and circumstance. And she she was not doing well, and we were in the hospital for a month straight. We were two weeks in Sacramento uh, at the Sutter Hospital, and then we were because they couldn't figure out totally what was going on. They had, a, they had a clue, you know, as to what was going on, but not fully. And once they identified it, everything was great. And it was like, okay, well, this is how we address this and, you know, and whatnot. But the, that, that month, it was a month straight. We were basically in, in the hospital for a month straight. And to be in the hospital for a month straight when your kid is, you know, seven months old. And usually that's the time when everything is just going beautifully and you know it's just a, it's a happy time and it was a very very rough patch for us and once we got out of that things just turned around and you know from that point forward you know she's done really well and it took a, a but it took a sizable toll on the both of us my my wife and myself and it was i remember when i was in that process and i was in the hospital and i was going through all of that stuff and i was in the thick of it and talking to friends and family I remember being so incredibly tired and depleted, but also realizing once we got out of it, once we actually got out of that crisis, how incredibly, again, like I said, I was depleted physically, but I, I could tell that, for lack of a better way to put it, my spirit, my emotional terrain was injured. I was not quite the same. And I say this loosely that I had PTSD, but I really do feel after, you know, researching PTSD, talking to people who have actually had it, there are, PTSD is a spectrum, right? There's varying degrees of, of how intense uh, a trauma can leave a mark on you. And it did leave a mark. And there was no shame in admitting that. I think a lot of people, if their kid goes to the hospital for any length of time or something happens to your child, it's very easy to get PTSD. So... I did, and I felt it, and I, and I kind of knew that I was experiencing that because after everything was good, even months after, I would be doing things, and I would be overridden with the anxiety from 
from what I had felt during during the time when I was in the hospital, when I was in Stanford and sleeping on those hospital couches, and I would have something happen, or Teal would exhibit, you know, or would do a behavior, or make a sound, or do something, and I would be thrown back into this panic and this anxiety and this lack of this feeling of lack of control, and I would just be projected. It was like a time traveling capsule. I would just be brought back right to where I was, and I thought, this isn't normal. I know enough about body work and Chinese medicine and cranial sacral therapy, all the things that I've done in the past about how the body will hold stress patterns in the nervous system, in our tissues. They call it cellular memory. I was just very hip to it. I thought, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't normal, and I need to get back on track. So something happened while I was in the hospital with my daughter and my wife. It was a very stressful time. wasn't sleeping much. I was you know, just a zombie, essentially, for that month. But what happened was this. On one of the peak nights, um, and I call it a peak night because it was right before we figured out what was going on, and it wasn't nearly as bad as what, you know, the, at the time they thought it, they were tossing out, the doctors were tossing out what they do is they start tossing out every exotic syndrome and, you know, scenario, and they're just trying to hit all their bases, but they're terrifying you at the same time. Like, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. Once they identified what it was, it was like, oh my God, this is totally manageable. It's actually very common. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, but it had been left unchecked. They didn't know, you know what had been happening. So in any case, right before we got the diagnosis, which was like a godsend and um, so manageable and so easy to like move forward with in life, a couple of days prior to that, okay, it's like one of these peak nights when I feel like everything was just ratcheting up because they were getting closer and they were starting to you know, get things off the checklist. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this. So towards that peak, peak experience, you know, that one of those peak nights, I'm asleep and I'm sleeping on the couch in the Stanford hospital and I have this very vivid dream. And the vivid dream is a Mexican woman who looks like, you know, just an old sort of grandmotherly Mexican woman, not particularly big, you know, and she was very sweet and I was laying down and she... She was in the hospital room, like the dream was taking place in the room where I was actually sleeping. And she came up to me and she was speaking to me in Spanish. And she touched my forehead and said something to me. And I got the feeling of sort of like a grandma. I just, but it wasn't my grandma from my bloodline, but I, but I felt it. And I just thought, oh, this is like a grandma, you know, talking to me. And then she started singing these songs. And as she started to sing these songs, she told me to close my eyes. And as she was singing the songs in Spanish, part of the lyrics, the word that kept coming up was ayahuasca. And it was just peppered throughout the Spanish lyrics. And I don't speak Spanish fluently, but I'm hip to know <laughs> enough that I know what Spanish sounds like. And it definitely was Spanish. I was picking up other words, but I kept hearing ayahuasca. And it was a really melodic, beautiful tune that she was singing. And it was very vivid. And when I woke up, I woke up calmly. But I remember distinctly thinking that that was that was odd that was strange and i think maybe that might have been sort of a clue for me to potentially dialogue with ayahuasca with this medicine and it really sat with me i mean i really got the thing like maybe she was whispering a song to me about that and maybe i was supposed to go do that so that seed was planted i told my wife about it i really sat with it um it was it was very strange and you know to give a little context backing up even a little further, for the years prior, I had been aware of ayahuasca for many years. 
I knew lots of my friends who had partaken in ceremonies. I knew lots of people who had gotten tremendous effect. I had watched lots of documentaries on it. I had read about it, talked to friends. I mean, you name it, I was not unfamiliar. So I think the seed was always in there that I was curious about it, but it was never something that I thought would be something that I maybe actually did. It's just one of those obscure things. I thought, I don't know, you know, if it ever comes to pass, maybe. But then I had this dream and then we get out of the hospital. Everything's good. We're on the right track. And about a month later, I get a call from one of my best friends and he says, look, I just went through an ayahuasca ceremony. The shamans who actually are from Mexico, they are traveling through, they do a circuit. They're currently on the East Coast, but they're going to be coming through your neck of the woods, through California in your neck of the woods in about two weeks time. And I just did the ceremony. I think you should too. I know you pretty well. And, and this, the friend I'm referring to, I'm not going to mention his name, but he knows me incredibly well. And I said, okay, I'm, I think that's a good idea. And he said, okay, great. Let's put you into contact with them. So we got the ball rolling. <clears throat> Fast forward. I end up paying for the ceremony. I get in. Um, I end up having to travel to the Bay Area, which is where the ceremony was taking place. And when I get there, and the day prior, actually, I had been told that part of this ceremony, which was more traditional than most, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, was that uh, the combo, the frog, the frog poison medicine, and technically, I don't like using the word poison. That's the way they call it. Uh, what's referred to oftentimes because the combo frog, which if you guys have not seen a lifestyle medicine episode two with Neil Hennigar that whole episode is about combo. But basically what was happening was, is they take the, they burn little holes in your arm. They take the extract from this Amazonian tree frog and they put it into you, into your skin and your body has a very visceral reaction. You puke, you sweat. It's very detoxifying, very purging, very intense. And so what they were saying is though that when you do this in conjunction with, you do combo during the day and then in the evenings through the entirety of the night, you're doing an ayahuasca ceremony. Next day, you do combo again in the morning, and then the second night, you do another round of ayahuasca. So it was pretty intense, you know, to do this in the morning, like right when I got there. They're like, okay, you ready? <laughs> you know, basically, we're going to toss you into this. And I was just very nervous about the whole process. I mean, I was nervous about the combo. I was nervous about the ayahuasca. And the combo, I was not looking forward to because I knew vomiting and sweating was going to be involved. It's very quick. It only lasts about 20 minutes, thank God. But... I was much more concerned about the ayahuasca because I just didn't know what I was going to find in that world and in that space and going into myself. I was pretty terrified. I mean, I was visibly shaken going to that. But I also knew part of why I was partaking in the ceremony was to heal the wounds that I had picked up from the time when my daughter was in the hospital. And I kept bringing myself back to that, like, this is why I'm doing this, or at least I'm attempting. This is part of why I'm going into this ceremony. So I get there, I did the first combo round, puke my guts out, it's very intense, um, I feel great afterwards. That evening, we jump into the ceremony, and for those of you who have done an ayahuasca ceremony, usually there is, I think almost always, I think if it's done correctly, there's supposed to be music played, usually like live music, people will play music throughout the evening. And what the shamans were telling us is that the music, if you, if you get lost at any point during the journey, you feel emotionally lost or spiritually lost or 
physically scared, listen to the music and the music will guide you. It actually will guide you through the journey and it's, it's your, it is your guide. So use it as such. So they explained all this. We end up drinking the medicine. Um, the, the ceremony, like a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies is what they is aligned with what they call noble silence, which means you do not talk during the ceremony. If you end up laughing or crying, that's okay, but it's not a time to have conversation. So during the entirety of the journey, which is anywhere from, you know, six to eight hours of pretty intense um, <clears throat> psychedelic medicine, you don't talk to the people around you. You just let people go through their process. But again, you can cry, you can emote. And if you really need help, you can talk to the shamans and go up and ask a question, but it's not a time to talk. So you're basically in your own world for the entirety of that night. And so the first... The first night, um, we sit down, they explain everything, they give us the orientation of how this is going to go down, how long it's going to last. And so I drink the first cup of the medicine. Now, some people have said that that ayahuasca tastes terrible, and it's just disgusting, and I just did not have that association whatsoever. It didn't taste bad to me at all. It just tasted like, sort of like a, a kind of a thick herbal tea. It wasn't bitter, wasn't unpleasant really didn't bother me. And I was kind of surprised by that. And <clears throat> I drink it and I wait. And that was their guidance. They said, wait, you know, um, feel free to come up for a second dose if you like to feel like the medicine isn't strong enough. And so in the end, I think I ended up going for three cups before I started to really feel something. And then the journey really started to begin. And I'm going to preface this by saying this, you guys, when I talk about what I saw during this journey, what I felt and what I experienced, it was unique to me. And some of the things I might talk about here when I bring these things up might not be true for you, and that's okay. But I think that's the thing that really has to be brought back to the front line when we're talking about this kind of stuff is that, you know, my experience wasn't special. It doesn't make me unique or superior to anyone else. The, the journey with psychedelic medicines, particularly ayahuasca, is so unique to the person and whatever's inside of you gets sort of unearthed and unopened. And so once you partake in a ceremony like this, it's, you can kind of understand why you can't tell people like, well, that's not right. You, you can't tell people about what, what they did or did not experience in the context of something like this. When you experience it, you know it, you feel it. It's very real in the moment and in the time. So keep that in mind. You know, I'm just, it's talking about this. I think that Ayahuasca, unfortunately, almost has become a trendy thing. It's become almost like, you know, did, have you have you partaken in this thing? And and it's I was a little hesitant to talk about this for that reason, but I also think part of you know my job is my platform, and I think just the larger picture of what's happening with the resurgence of psychedelic medicines is that we do need to talk about it. It does need to be on on the docket. It needs to be put onto the table so we can look at it from a few different angles and hear people's experiences with as little judgment as possible, because it's very easy to judge someone as they talk about an experience like this. And I, some of my good friends listened to this and just thought like I was just, you know, a new age hippie, just, you know, talking spiritual la-la nonsense. Um, and later, you know, they changed their tune when they went through their own experiences. But the point is, I just wanted to say that, lay that out before we talk about like what actually happened. So three cups in, the medicine kicks in, I enter into the ceremony and very quickly I realize a mistake that I've made 
in the context of this ceremony. And what I didn't know, and I was, it was brought to my attention very quickly, two things. So one, I had been thinking about this wrong. I had been thinking about the, the medicine itself wrong. And as soon as it took effect, I got the very real distinction that I was discoursing and dialoguing with a personality, not a drug. And that, that, that sort of took me back. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. <clears throat> I've been thinking about this wrong. And I went into this wrong. <laughs> like I, I was very aware and it kind of it was a little unnerving. I thought, shit. I didn't see that coming. This isn't a drug. This is a personality. And the way it was behaving, the substance in my body, it felt like a living personality talking to me. And wasn't in words. And I'll get into that, what, you know, how it communicated. Um, but it, it felt like a living personality. And it felt very old and it felt very female. Very, very definitively female. It did not feel male at all. It was a very feminine energy. And as it kicked in, I... I remember feeling, you know, my own judgment of myself was feeling kind of stupid, sort of naive and just thought, God, like I didn't even think about that, that that's maybe how this might be, that this could be a personality. And I had all these heady thoughts go through me during the journey, which were, you know, plants are alive, you know, there's cellular activity in carrots and celery, you know, we, there's still live cellular activity in vegetables. Why would a root be any different? And those constituent chemicals and compounds can be dormant until activated by digestion from another animal. I had this stuff running through my head like, oh my God, like it's fully possible that this is just a consciousness in a plant, which is what Chinese medicine says about all plants, cannabis, burdock root, you know, dandelion, you know, you name it. Like it's, it's all personalities in nature. So right, right away I'm, I'm confronted with this and I'm a little unnerved. And then the second part, the second mistake that I realized I had made was I didn't even know this. It was an unconscious, subconscious programming and attitude that I had come into the ceremony with, which was metaphorically, okay? And I didn't know I was even behaving like this until I got into this space. But metaphorically, if you think of like the young jock college player coming into a bar who's just, you know, on top of everything. You know, it feels like he's won the game and he's, you know, in good space and he's, you know, maybe even a little cocky. I kind of came into the ceremony like that a little bit and I didn't even know it. I came in sort of like, you know, a young, a young jock coming into a college bar and was like, you know, banging on the counter like, hey guys, like I'd, I'd like a couple shots of like the strongest thing, whatever you got so I can get my buzz going. That's kind of the attitude that I had. Again, I didn't even know I had that attitude until the medicine was running through me. And then I thought, oh shit. That's probably not the move. And I didn't even know it, but it's where I was. And I think what I had been kind of in the back of my mind thinking about was if I take this medicine, I want to get, I want it to hit me. I want to feel effect. It was sort of like me drinking it and being like, show me, you know, show me, show me the insight, show me the, the grandeur, like really, you know, going to the bartender and basically just demanding a drink. And when I realized that I was operating from that place immediately, the ayahuasca personality got incredibly large. And so it felt like at the time, you know, it felt like when I was, had taken in the medicine that for all intents and purposes, the ayahuasca and myself physically were the same size. Like, it, like if the ayahuasca was a personality, right? And it was a person standing in front of me, like we felt the same size. 
But as soon as I realized this and this started to happen, and I started to unwind this attitude that I had going into the ceremony, ayahuasca got really big. And it felt like she got the equivalent of maybe like of a 2,000-year-old redwood tree, and I was about the size of an ant. So the size discrepancy was just huge, and she was leering over me and just was like, you don't ask for a drink at the bar. You, you don't demand anything from me. What happens is, is I tell you what you need. And I was intimidated tremendously given the size difference. I thought, oh shit, she's huge. And she's making her presence known that like, mm -mm, this isn't how this goes. And I, I took it well. I was like, okay, you know, internally, I was like, I am so sorry. My apologies. I didn't know. And I just internally, you know, if, if I could have taken a, a posture in, you know, the regular reality, it would have me getting onto my knees and kind of putting my head to the floor and being like, sorry, I didn't know I was inside the temple. My bad. It was definitely a moment like that. <clears throat> and I just waited. And I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to sit down at the bar and shut the fuck up. I'm not going to say a word. And so I just sat there for a while. I don't know how long. It's very hard in psychedelic space to know how many minutes actually pass. Felt like 30, but it could have been an hour for all I know, or it could have been two. I really don't know. But I sat there and I waited and then she shrunk back down to my size. And then... I began to ask questions. And when I would ask a question, it was internal. I wasn't vocalizing the question out loud. I would ask the question internally. And as I asked the question, what I was shown, and this is very interesting, I was shown these fractal images and these geometric patterns that were continuing to grow and unfold, which is very common. This is not, this is nothing new. So if, if you talk to people about what they see in psychedelic experiences, especially in ayahuasca, the images are geometric, they're fractal, they're, they're um, repetitive, you know, so it's, it's almost like you'll see a picture of, if you're looking at a flower, the leaves have patterns that are sort of undulating and spiraling out, but the, the flower isn't changing shape. It's just this like constantly moving geometric pattern. And some of the images that I was seeing looked almost Mayan. They were almost like the, the old um, glyph sort of images. And it definitely looked tribal. It looked, some of them fractal. Some of them were very geometric. Some were more circular. Some had soft edges. But I would ask a question. I would ask the question. And when I would throw the question out, I would be shown an image. And it was this fractal image of some kind. And when I would look at the image, <clears throat> excuse me, I would, I would get an emotional understanding in response to the question I had asked. So in a regular 3D conversation with a person, right, you ask a question to somebody like, hey, how did you do that? And they proceed to verbally explain it to you. Well, first I did this, second I did this, third I did this. This wasn't like that. There were no words. I intended the question to the ayahuasca plant posed the question in my mind, I was shown a fractal image. And the more I looked at that image, the more I emotionally understood the context of what I had asked. So it was almost like a visual language that was coded with emotion, or at least a visual language that when you looked at it, it activated 
an emotional understanding inside of you. Very cool, very strange, and unlike anything I've ever experienced. <coughs> so the entirety of that night was that process, was me asking questions about things in my life, things that had happened with my daughter, why had that had happened. And every question I asked was a picture, some sort of fractal image unfolding, and as it did, I would emotionally understand. Now, the interesting thing about this is that when you partake in ayahuasca, one of the common things that happens for most people, because it's incredibly cleansing to the emotional body and to the physical body, and to the energetic body if you subscribe to these kinds of things, but that's why people end up puking a lot. You bring a bucket to ayahuasca ceremonies and you might have to run to the bathroom. It might be coming out of both ends because the ayahuasca is said, what's happening is, is what we would call, again, in 3D reality, just physical detoxing. The way when you talk to the tribal people and, the, and you listen to the, the more traditional lineage around ayahuasca, what it says is when you're puking, it's, it's expelling energetic and emotional patterns. And with that comes these physical responses we call, you know, crying, puking, shitting. It's these things that are coming out, but it's the physical representation of things, of the energy leaving your body, of, of the stuff that you are holding on to. So what was interesting was I didn't puke either of the nights, not at all. I didn't puke, not once. My stomach never got upset. I never had diarrhea. But what I did do was cry a lot. I cried I would say, you know, if the journey was eight hours the first night and eight hours the second night as well, I would say a good four to five of both of those nights, four to five hours of both of those nights, I was crying and sometimes sobbing, sometimes just tears running down my face quietly. But that's, that's how I process. And when I talked to the, the shaman, the man, I said, you know, what, why, why is that? why wasn't I puking? Most everyone else was puking. He says, yeah, you're, some people are like that. Some people don't purge through defecation and vomit. Some people purge through tears. And he's like, I think you're one of those. He says, not to say that you won't ever throw up, but for what it's worth, you know, um, this is how you do it. So I thought that was interesting. That's how I purged. That's how I got a lot of my emotions out. And so, you know, I could sit here and talk about this journey for many hours. It, it, there's so much in here and it's very difficult to put it to words because it's such an abstract, non-linear, formless place that you go to when you get into these, these medicines. So what I'll say is this though, the things we touched on, the things I asked questions about, my role as a father, shown an image, felt ideas and concepts about that. My role as a husband, provider, son, I asked questions about Tai Chi, which was really interesting because the impression outside of the pictures and understanding, we actually stayed on Tai Chi for quite a while. I felt like she, she talked to me about Tai Chi for a long time and she really liked it that I was studying it, that there was something about the, the softness and yin of Tai Chi. And the image that I was shown was this, what looked like a geometric Mayan flower. And I was watching it go from a seed to sprouting out of the ground and opening and like blossoming through its whole life cycle. But part of the image I was shown, how I understood Tai Chi and how the feedback I got from her about it was I watched this geometric flower slowly open and it was sort of like a time-lapsed, fast-forward lifespan of something opening slowly. And what 
she was encouraging me to do was in the process of Tai Chi training and gestures was to listen to the transition of movements the same way I was watching this flower. So it was sort of like every gesture that you go through in a Tai Chi form when you circle an arm and you move and you spiral out, it was sort of like you have to train your sensitivity to feel as if you were a flower opening slowly and expanding into life. It was really beautiful and amazing, but a lot of dialogue around that. And then, you know, a lot of it was just about my place in life, the things I've struggled with, where I've been, um, definitely like what happened with my daughter, you know, and, and in the end, outside of all of the explanations that I saw and the things I felt, it really boiled down to, it's what happened. It was, it was very simple and very clear. That's what happened. And for whatever reason, I was able to feel that and not just think that because we can all think that and it doesn't change anything, but I felt it at an emotional level. That's just what happened. And it's in the past now. And now you're not there. And you're moving forward. Period. And like, again, to hear that mentally doesn't really mean shit. To feel that emotionally, two different worlds. And that's that was the difference. So I wrap up that night, second night, you know, that morning I do combo again, which was easier this time, mind you do the second round of the ayahuasca ceremony and whole new set of themes. And what was interesting this time, what I picked up from the first night was this whole message about listening. That was a big central theme to the first night was listening. How well are you listening to, to life, to people, to nature, to silence? How well are you listening to these things? You know, can you actually listen to silence actively and not try to project out into it? There were a lot of weird themes that kind of came to me. So the second night I were thinking, you know, I had three cups the first night and it was, you know, a strong experience, but I am going to drink less this first go round. I'm going to drink the medicine and listen better. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, I had one cup. And with the one cup, I was into a stronger and deeper psychedelic experience than I was the first night. So I went from one cup to three, from three cups to one. And I thought, damn, that's telling. You know, I, it's not like I dropped 40 or 50 pounds that night and, you know, it was a different amount of medicine in a different size frame. It's just that I was listening better. And that really painted a picture, right, for a lot of areas in my life and probably in a lot of other people's lives. How well are we listening? How well do we really have to do more of these things or do we have to just do the same things but listen better and extract more? And that was a, that was a kind of a mind-blowing realization. And then you know, I was shown that uh, to listen. So I listened better the second night and I went through and, you know, the, the journey that I was taken into, I was shown, um, I was shown, you know, places in my body where I was carrying what looked like demons more or less, not real, you know, demons, you know, from hell that could possess me or anything like that. But it was just showing me these images of faces and personalities. And it's sort of like the emotions that we carry, that we embody, that we partake in. Maybe it's victimhood. Maybe it's being, you know, uh, too controlling or too angry or whatever it is that we fall into, whatever bullshit pattern that isn't really serving us at our highest level and that keeps us living in a smaller version of ourself, whatever that is for any of us, and we all have it somewhere. It's almost like those emotional patterns were shown to me to be like little mini personalities and they can be placed in different organs and they can be placed in different parts of your body that create aches and pains that create, um, you know, disharmonies in hormone function. Like it was sort of like the emotional things 
that we engage in become these little tiny personalities that aren't, aren't actually real people, but they're like these little like subsect, you know, alternate universe little personalities that end up living in us. And we have to be very careful because if we feed them too much, right, they can grow into something material. And so I was shown areas of my body, you know, parts in my, in my liver and parts in my intestines where it was like left unchecked, you know, if these emotional patterns, they could be a problem for you down the road. Like they could make you physically sick too. And I was like, wow. So that was, you know, fairly eye-opening to have that because I live a pretty healthy lifestyle, you know, and I, I'm not perfect, but I, I, I try, you know, I make a concerted effort to really be healthy. And that really got a hold of me that I got, you know, I have to really pay attention to my emotional patterns, the things I decide to, to chew on, the things I decide to feed emotionally, physically, spiritually. So I sat with all those things. And um, that second night I was shown that this is what, this is what you've been doing. And this is where you're going to go now. And the most awesome part of the second night, and, and I realized that this was present the first night too, but it didn't solidify till the second night, which was the tone of ayahuasca, the tone in the way, or the, I guess the manner in which she spoke to me was incredibly gentle for one and two, completely non-judgmental. Because as I would be in the journey, I would think about the things I've done or said or things that I've done that I've just, you know, I wish I would have done differently or I wasn't proud of. And I would go through that. And when I would go through that, she would show me through a physical sensation about how being judgmental will make you physically sick. And so every time I would have a judgmental thought about myself, about another person, I would, I would become physically nauseous. And I would become physically nauseous until I stopped being judgmental internally. And the second I stopped, the nausea would go away. And she sh showed me, again, this is, this is the way it felt. She was like, it was like she put in this temporary operating system into me during that, those two journeys where she's like, okay, here you go. This is temporary, but I'm going to like turn up the volume to your emotional patterns. And when you judge something during these eight, two eight-hour sessions, you're going to get sick. So you know this is what's actually happening inside your body but you just don't know it. It's just buried. But now it's on the surface. So every time I would get judgmental during the journey about myself, mainly about myself, I would start to feel physically sick. And I'd be like, fuck, there it is. I got to like not be judgmental. And as soon as I would stop, I would feel better, which was crazy to me. And then of course, after the journeys were over, it never happened again. But during those two nights, it would happen. So the big theme was the way she delivered her messages to me, the way everything was relayed to me was non-judgmental. And that was amazing to really be in the face of something that was unconditionally non-judgmental, no judgment, just everything that I had done in my life that I wished I had done differently. It, it, it just showed me, it said, that's the way you were doing it. And here's another way to do it. And this way is probably, probably better for you. And that was it. There was no like, you're bad for having done it that way, or you're stupid for having done it that way. Cause that's the record I had in my head about a lot of things that I've done in my life. Like you're just, you know, you're an idiot. Like you're a true fool in so many ways about so many different things. What I still think is true, <laughs> but I have less judgment about it now. And I still have a lighter heart about it. So that, you know, the, the intensity of the judgment and the disdain that I kind of had for myself internally about these things wasn't there anymore. And so that was the thing I kind of left was, you know, non-judgmental, being non-judgmental. And that's so hard to do. And I think judgment and discernment, 
are different. You know, discerning and being like, I don't want to hang out with that person because I don't think they're fully aligned with me and it's probably not going to be the best thing for me. That's not judgmental. You know, I think when we start projecting onto people and making people wrong for the way they do it, making them fundamentally wrong for liking Trump, making them fundamentally wrong because they like Bernie, you know, making them fundamentally wrong as people, you know, at their core because they do something that we don't agree with. And that was a big, you know, distinguishing factor for me, which is this whole piece of non-judgmental. Don't be judgmental. So you guys, like I said, I could be here talking about many different things. I could I could sit here and un, unpack this these two ceremonies, um, you know, this collective ceremony, but I could talk about this for a long time. I'm not going to, right? I want to keep this under 40 minutes and this is a little bit longer than I normally go. But the reason I'm bringing this up, you guys, is because long story short, the whole purpose of this, the, the reason I, I had the dream, I think, the reason that I was, you know, put and thrust into this ceremony was to unwind the trauma that I experienced when I got PTSD from my daughter being in the hospital. And it was a viable way to do it. I knew after, you know, being out of the hospital just a little while, I thought I can't talk my way out of this. I can't. I don't know how. I'm going to have to feel my way out of this. And that was sort of an internal knowing. I wish I could tell you why I knew that, but that was just, was a simple truth and I didn't have to overanalyze it. It was just, that's what's going to happen. That's the way it's going to go. So I think for all of you, if, if you are, it's not for everybody. You know, this isn't me advocating for people to do it or to, you know, to partake in it. You know, I'm not a medical professional. You have to do your own research. It's a very slippery slope now it, in the culture right now. You know, it's, it's not uh, well received. It's changing. It's, it's getting better. But the bottom line is, you guys, that I think if we have problems, we have traumas, we have PTSD, again, you know, same thing I've said before, looking at psychedelics and, and really embracing them as a possibility to step into healing from a different vantage point, to approach it from a different angle, is very reasonable to, to think about. Like it's really something to consider because if we can get out of our thinking mind and we can get into what I call our feeling heart by comparison. You can you can think your ways out of things sometimes and you can use logic to get out of many situations in life. And there's a lot of times in life when logic doesn't work. You can't think your way out of something. It's, it's an emotional process. It's a formless process. It's considerably more abstract than you're giving credit. You're giving it credit for. So I think that if we can embrace and to take away the judgment, Right? Take away all of the programming that we've been told in the culture that you're going to fry your brain and that you're going to be a druggie or a degenerate or you know, a transient loser by partaking in quote-unquote drugs. You know, that has been the programming and it's really unfortunate because it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be anything like that. And I can tell you that sitting with ayahuasca for that one, that one ceremonial weekend radically changed me forever. And I said, you know, that, that night when I left and the next day I thought, you know, internally I was saying to myself, like, I think I've found like, a, you know, a teacher or, or an ally that I would like to work with here. And I think I'm going to like revisit her at some point. And it's 2020 and I have not gone anywhere near that substance. One, I'm still processing and integrating what I downloaded what was downloaded to me that that uh that weekend like i'm still working on it 
and the things that I was given to work on, I still struggle with. Like everything that I had insights on are still there. Like I still struggle with all of these things. And it was just brought to my attention that like, I don't even think I'm ready to go into a ceremony until I really feel like I've worked on these things and I've really got something to show for it. Because I felt like what I was being shown is like, here's a new operating system and you better like test it out and get used to it and flush it out. And then maybe we can talk again. And I thought, you know, I don't want to go back into a ceremony without having my work be a little bit more complete. And I'm still working on it and it's still helpful. Like I still, I still go back to that experience and I remember those things and I catch myself when I'm being judgmental or I'm being harsh or I'm being, you know, a certain way with my wife or a a way with my daughter or my friends or my family or whoever. I'm brought back to that, that ceremony. I'm brought back to that journey. And so again, I just, my invitation to you guys is to consider these things. Be open to exploring these things and it's not particularly easy. You know, you're going to have to go under the radar. You're going to have to like talk to people, look for people. You know, the best advice I was ever given that is like, if you want to partake in, you know, an ayahuasca ceremony and you have no clue where to begin, pray on it. To actually pray to yourself, that's fine. If you don't believe in a, you know, a higher design or source to the universe, fine. You don't have to. But pray internally. Talk to yourself. Say, you know, if it's meant to, if it's meant to, meant to be, I would like for the ayahuasca plant to make its way into my life. You know, I did that for a period of time, um, months, many months before Teal was sick and I had forgotten about it. And then when she got sick and then I had that dream, it all kind of, I thought, well, I planted the seed months back. It seems to have, you know, kind of found its way to me. And it did. It fell right into my lap. And I've talked to a lot of people who actually say that's exactly how it happens. They pray on it for a period of time, sometimes months. And then somehow, some way, the door opens. And that has been consistent for most people I've talked to. And I am one of them. That prayer was a component in attracting it into your life. So for what that's worth, you know, take it for what it is. I'm not saying uh, it might be true for you, but it's been true for, for me. It's true for a lot of other people as well. So I hope this finds you guys well. Thanks for listening. If you guys have questions, comments, or would like to, um, you know, hear more about this kind of thing, let me know. But I would love to hear about your experiences as well. You know, if you guys have comments or or similar experiences or insights from your journey, I'm always open to hearing them. So thanks for your time. Take care, you guys.